Right, welcome along to the RT Soccer World Cup podcast. Raf Giallo here, and tonight I'm joined by Ed Leahy of RT Sport Online and former Ireland international Keith Tracy. At the moment, uh, as you've probably noticed, the template of these uh, podcasts we tend to record during the second half of the late game. And at the moment, about an hour in, England leading Senegal 3-0 and obviously earlier France beat Poland 3-1 and uh, the last 16s continue on Monday and Tuesday. But uh, Ed, um, you know, we were, uh, I was a little bit, I was a little bit worried during the first half in terms of what time to start recording this because obviously we have to factor in extra time uh, and it, <laughs> it wasn't looking good for either side uh, at, at the one point. It wasn't, was it? It was very slow. Uh, scrappy start to this game. Um, I don't think we're going to be looking at extra time now, as England are very comfortably through, more or less now to the to the quarterfinals. Um, oh, they were they were uh, really <sighs> disorganised looking outfit with no uh, no one really pulling the team together in, in the first 30, 35 minutes. Um, Two goals then just before half time really sort of settled the nerves and they come out in the second half and they look they look a different team. Yeah. And it's all it's all really down to one man, Jude Bellingham. He seems to be the the one player who's who has the confidence to take the ball on, take on players and, and make those uh decisive passes. Yeah, so the goals have come from Jordan Henderson, then Harry Kane, and uh, then finally uh, Bukayo Saka, uh, with Bellingham very much centrally involved in the first two. Uh, Keith, that means obviously your prediction that England could potentially go all the way is very much safe. It's safe for the time being, Raph, but you know, if, if we are saying that England are true and it really does look that way, barring maybe a Senegalese miracle, but... Yeah, they French, uh, the French in the next round, which, listen, if they can beat the French, I'd, I'd be all, all in that they, they could potentially go and win it because, for me, it's wide open because even, you know, we'll probably touch on the French and the Polish game later, but for me, the French look beatable. The English are beatable. Brazil are beatable. All of the big nations are beatable. So, for, it's just who, who, uh, who defends the best, you know, and for me... Yeah, like I say, I'm seeing weaknesses in everybody, which is it's it's wide open for the neutral, which is great. But yeah, look, England are true to the next round, so I, I get to where uh, I don't. I, I wasn't. I was like you, Raph. I wasn't sure whether I was coming on here to defend myself or you know just <laughs> get get my head down and get through to the next round. But we'll see how we go against the uh, against France on the weekend. Yeah, as Ed said, there the first half was particularly scrappy uh, up until about fifteen minutes in, and then Senegal took over, and it seemed to be England couldn't get out uh, from you know their passing lanes from the back four into the midfield seemed to be non-existent until they scored that opening goal through Henderson on thirty-seven minutes. What were what was Senegal doing right, Keith, to be able to block their um, block their progression through the the middle third? Well, they were just they were just congested in the middle of the pitch. They were, they were just it was just so many bodies in there, and and the one thing that was I wouldn't say worrying about the English it was John Stones and Maguire. They kept trying to force it through the middle. And if Senegal are going to get really really narrow and congested in the middle of the pitch, give the ball out to Saka, give it out to Foden, and just keep walking it from side to side, tire out the Senegalese legs, and then eventually a two v one will appear in the wide areas, and then you can go and hit them from there. Put real quality into the box. They didn't do that. They kept forcing it. Senegal were growing in the game because they won the ball high up in, in the English half once or twice. Pickford made an outstanding save. Otherwise, the English would have been behind. So, again, although I've obviously backed, I've backed England, but 
it, it, it's so so interesting because again every team is beatable just you know even the French Brazil and England again it, although they're winning 3-0 here and it looks quite comfortable on paper you know there was 35 minutes where you know it was really really in the balance yeah, and then obviously Jude Bellingham has been the key to unlocking Senegal. So uh, he had already made a couple of runs before Senegal took over the game on 15 minutes. He'd been involved in a, in the first cross over to Bukayo Saka. Also Harry Kane put one in towards the far post, which maybe Saka was a little bit slow to uh, respond to. But in regards to Bellingham and how he took control of the game, obviously he has Henderson and Rice beside him in the centre midfield. He's kind of playing... Uh, slightly further forward like just how impressive have you been with or how impressed have you been with the runs he has made in this game I'm really impressed Rafis for a 19 year old to realise that you know I'm saying that John Stones and Harry Maguire weren't realising that the, the middle of the pitch for England was so congested they kept trying to force it he after about a half an hour started to realise this is too tight in here I'm going to start running beyond the, the, the defence of, of Senegal and once or twice he didn't get the ball but he was starting to stretch people then you see in the tour time when Kane, when uh, Foden flicks around the corner, Kane gets it. All of a sudden, Jude Bellingham's gone. The Senegal midfielder doesn't fancy the room with him and they're in. And he keeps his head, finds Henderson. It's brilliant. But the willingness to run without the ball, you know, it, it's it's such a simplistic thing to say. But so many footballers don't want to run without the ball. And Jude Bellingham, to be 19, to realise that to solve problems on the pitch is such a big, big thing to be able to do. And, for somebody of 19 years of age to realise that when you're in the monks, the, the heat of it, it, it really is outstanding. And he, he's so, so close to be into that world-class bracket already at 19, you know, the sky's the limit for this guy, it really is. Yeah, and Ed, I suppose another thing as well, like, so the goal came, Henderson's goal came on 38 minutes and then Kane um, from Foden's assist for the 45th, in the 45th minute. Their, uh, their earliest goal in the tournament so far came in the opening game against Iran on 35. Do you read much into those kind of stats in terms of how long it takes them really to break down teams? Given at the Euros, they actually seem to start quite quickly. They did, didn't they? Um, that's a good question, Mark, because I've been watching the second half here and especially even since the third goal has gone in, and they're suddenly playing like a, a team with confidence and composure, and, and the quality of the of the players like Foden is really starting to show, because they're playing without any sort of fear here, and, and knowing that the truth is next round. And I think it is down to that pressure that, that's on the team, that they're just not performing to their, to their capabilities, because... You can see what they're capable of here at 3-0 up to, to just totally dominate a team and not even allow setting all the back in, in possession. So it's, it's obviously a, a, a big pressure on the team. And there's also stuff going on within the camp. Um, a couple of players have had personal issues. So you, we don't know the seriousness of those. Um, that may also be affecting the, the, the squad um, if, you know, if, if their teammates are in... Having, having serious uh, personal issues, you know. So I just think overall it's, it's the World Cup and, and they're not playing to their potential. We've seen that now in um, two of the four games and even the argue even the Wales game, they, were, they weren't even great. So they need to believe in themselves and sort of channel what they were doing in, in Euros um, last year to, to maybe go and, and take that into the France game because otherwise France will, will have to beat before they get going. 
Yeah, and of course, uh, another pattern from the Euros as well. So Harry Kane did not score in the group stages of either competition, this World Cup or the last Euros. Um, but then he has scored now and uh, he went on a run in the knockout stages of the European Championships last year. Uh, what have you made of his performance today, Keith? I mean, he was having a running battle with Abdou Diallo uh, in brackets, no relation here, um, in the <laughs> during the first half. But uh he again. He did seem to be quite dangerous as well in terms of dropping into space and trying to play passes in behind. Yeah, he is, and you know sometimes you want them to stay away. You want them to go and occupy the two centre halves. But you know the, the reason Harry Kane is in the English team is because of what he does for Spurs. And what he does for Spurs is he gets the ball deep. He will turn. He'll get runners with Kulusevski and so on, and he'll bring them into play with his passing range. And, We've seen a little uh, a little glimpse of that with the English force goal when he when Foden flicks around the corner and Kane gets it and plays Bellingham through. So look, I don't he's obviously not at his prolific best in front of the goal, but I think it's three assists and this is obviously a goal now. So after four games, three goals and an assist is not not a bad return. I'd like to see him hit the net a little bit more. And look, I, I think the English, you know, to, to pick up on what Ed is saying, I think sometimes we can be a little bit too harsh on the English. The English media are obviously very, very harsh, some of the pressure that comes on them. But nobody nobody qualified as well as the English with the seven-plus goal difference and the seven points. They were the strongest qualifiers out of everybody. And I, I would go back to the Iran game when they scored six. I think Iran proved themselves that they were better than that. So I would give England huge credit for that. And to beat a Senegal team when, you know, we're, we're all saying that, that they haven't been great, England, by any stretch of the imagination, but they're winning the game 3-0 pretty comfortably. So that, for me, would be a big positive. But I, I take Ed's point, you know, against the likes of France, if they start slowly, the, the game could be outreached before they even get going. So there will be a, another step up in class on the weekend. But for, for now, yeah, all, all boxes ticked and happy enough with it. Yeah, so 69 minutes uh, just on the screen I have here. Uh, still England 3, Senegal nil. Let's talk about France. 3-1 winners over Poland. Olivier Giroud breaking the French national record that Thierry Henry had held uh, for, a number, uh, for a number of years. And uh, also then Kylian Mbappe then taking over the couple of goals towards the end. What did you make of France's overall performance? Because there, there is this a kind of view that it wasn't a complete performance by any means. Yeah, it would be fairly similar to what I think of England now. You know, they're getting the game won. They look fairly comfortable in large patches. But there is times when you thought, oh, God, that, that was a bit nervous. And, you know, Varane doesn't look fully fit to me. I know he had a hamstring injury coming up to the World Cup. For me, he's he's a little bit off it. And, look, I've seen an awful lot of the French in the Nations League. And that's why I'm so, I find it so hard to get behind them. Griezmann for me looks a shadow of himself. People still seem to have him in and around the world class bracket. Not for me. I think he's way, way off that now. And I know Giroud. Giroud, for some reason, doesn't get the plaudits he deserves. He's, a, he's an absolute goal machine for the French. When uh, when you have a player like Mbappe with all the pace in the world, you still need a threat to keep the defenders away from him. And he does that so, so well. But for me, if you keep killing Mbappe quiet, which is a lot, uh, lot easier said than done, but if you can somehow get Mbappe out of the game, get him disinterested. I think France fall away by the wayside. But having said that, Raf, you could say the same about uh, Neymar with Brazil. You could say the same about Argentina with Messi. So there's big, big players for every country. And if you keep the quiet, I think you go to 90% of, of uh, dealing with France's uh, danger. 
Yeah, and Ed, as we, as we know, France probably have the best depth of any country at the World Cup. Obviously, they're missing the likes of Pogba, Kante, who were central to winning the World Cup uh, the last time. But actually, when you look at their back four and also the heart of their central midfield, it it's, you know, when you compare it to their most recent tournaments, it's been all a change. Ah, it hasn't it? Um, you, you, you talk about the strength of the team. Um, individually, I think that's true. You know, you look at all the players, you know, the, the back four, you've got, you pick a player from Barcelona, Madrid, Bayern Munich, uh, you know, top, top players from the top clubs around Europe. But they're not necessarily coming together as a unit just yet, I don't think. Um, I think I think Riesman has shown glimpses of what what he can do, and I think he's key for France being successful in this in this World Cup. And like Keith said, the Mbappe factor is huge, and you see the sort of contrast with the similarities, but also the contrast of of the two wide men up front. How they're both electrically fast, take on players, cause awful problems, but Mbappe is the one who's delivering the the goods, really. You know, and, and likewise, I'm a huge fan of Giroud. Um, but then, like you've, you've got players like uh, uh, like Kingsley Coleman has sort of won the first subs to come on. Like, I don't think uh, I don't think the strength and depth is there to come on and make the, the team necessarily stronger off the bench. It's come on to fill to fill gaps and plug gaps. But I don't think they're they're um, as as uh, strong a squad as as they look on paper, you know. So it'll be interesting to see how they go. What I do like about them is that. They're so reliant on the front, the front uh, unit that the defence and and holding midfielders aren't necessarily having to commit too far forward, which will make them a, a tough team to play against. Uh, if you look at the counter, you know, like the way England looked good on the counter attack tonight, I don't think they get the same sort of space running forward as the French team. Yeah, because uh, during the match, uh, Jamie Carragher tweeted that uh, the scary thing is Matty Cash has actually done okay against uh, hashtag Mbappe and then a uh, screaming face emoji. Um, and that first half, actually, yeah, um, you know, Cash and also Camille Glick, I think there had been a concern uh, about you know, Glick obviously being sort of an ageing centre-back and not the most mobile either. The Polish, uh, how impressed were you with how they set up in that first half? Because France didn't exactly cut through them all that much. Sometimes Mbappe did get a bit of space to run into, but uh, they weren't able to tie everything together. Yeah, I, I, thought, uh, <clears throat> I thought Poland actually handled Mbappe quite well, which is, you know, sounds like a ridiculous thing to say when he's coming off the pitch after scoring two goals, but if you sit down and watch the 90 minutes of football, he, he had a couple of runs on Matty Cash. Matty Cash actually took the ball off him once or twice, done quite well. And yeah, the, the, the agency and the half click didn't, uh, didn't help him out too much. There was once or twice when he was 1v1 and you could see Matty Cash trying to tell him, come over and help me. I need you to help me. And, you know, I, I'm 34 and I wouldn't be going over there to expose myself either. So I thought Matty Cash did do quite well. Poland as a team defended quite well, really deep and, the good thing was when they won it, they sprung out really, really quickly. And Matty Cash, we've seen him do it for Villa so many times. He's really, really good at that. And yeah, again, I, I, I put the French in a, in a similar vein to the English that look, they're getting through. They seem comfortable in qualifying, but there's still, a, there's still an avenue to beat them. They're not unbeatable. You're not going into this thinking, God, we're going to have to shut up shop here. And England's best attributes is going forward. France's best attributes are going forward. They both, they both have weaknesses at the back. Harry Maguire, I thought, was very good against the USA. I think he's coming down a level again against the Senegal now. So, 
he he might have to be looked at. You know, he hasn't played a lot of time for Manchester United. So for me, the English and the French, I think it's going to be a, a, a great game, an attacking game. And I, I think we'll get goals. It's just whoever's uh, whoever's attackers are on, on form on the night will uh, we'll all win the game for them. Yeah, and certainly Mbappe has five goals, which puts him clear at the moment uh, in the golden boot race. And uh, Giroud, not too far behind as well, three goals. And um, obviously there was much made in the last World Cup about the fact he didn't find the net. But obviously like he, he ended up with a World Cup winner's medal. I think he was being compared to uh, Stefan Givas, who people might remember from the 1998 World Cup team who did, so, who, you know, filled space up front while the rest, <laughs> the rest of the team kind of coalesced behind him. But um you know, obviously, you've, you've mentioned before, Keith, that you're an Arsenal fan. Um, Giroud is a very underappreciated figure. But then you look at, like, you know, he's a late bloomer. And the fact he's broken a record set by Thierry Henry, who had a really, really long um, career with France. Um, you know, he's been he's been outstanding for them. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a really weird one. You know, Olivier Giroud, I think of him at Arsenal. I, I always loved him playing because, obviously, me being a winger when I played, I, I can see the value in having somebody like that up there. And to, to, be net, to be a striker and a French striker, and we spoke about in the same vein in terms of records as Thierry Henry, he must be up there. And Look, I, I think he's outstanding. I really do. And, his time at Arsenal, the way he just occupies centre-halves, he's not the quickest in the world, but he'll occupy centre-halves. He'll work hard for the team. He's a great aerial threat. He seems to be really good in and around the teams. He seems to be a good bloke. All the things I heard back at his time at Arsenal was that his teammates love him. And he's, he's one of a very few centre-forwards that can actually have a good game and not score a goal. He doesn't have to score to play to have a good game. You know, the likes of... Harry Kane sometimes will be will be spoke about if he doesn't score a goal because he needs to have an assist or score a goal to play well. Giroud doesn't. Giroud can affect the game, you know, just by standing on two centre halves and, and leaving Mbappe one v one. He can he can affect games without getting on the score sheet. And that for me, he is in the world class bracket. You really have to say he is on the eye. You probably wouldn't think it, but when you start scratching the surface and having a look at his uh, at his stats, he really does fall into the world class bracket and. Still doing it, doing it year after year after year, and you know when he left Arsenal and went to Chelsea, people were thinking he wasn't too, he wasn't good enough for Arsenal. He couldn't hold down a place, and just a, a word on the man, the man's mentality to just keep going and going and going. Because even at Chelsea, he didn't get in. Now he's over in Italy, still scoring goals and scoring goals for the French team now as well. And a lot of people would say he wouldn't even be in the squad if Benzema was fit. You know, so more power to him. I think he's an excellent player and a great pro. Yeah, I wanted to ask you about the runs he makes as well, because it's interesting, usually a target man will try and, because of the lack of pace, will go towards the far post. But it's time and time again you watch him, even sort of today. I know it wasn't a ball that came from out wide, but he has this habit of going to the near post and often kind of flicking it in. It's just, a, it's an interesting skill he has that maybe other players of that profile don't do. Yeah, but that's the first thing. That, I think that's probably why I, I have a little bit more appreciation than maybe uh, your average person is because when you're a, when you're a winger, you're always told when my when I put my head down to go across the ball, there has to be a striker going across the front post. You very very rarely will score a headed goal from outside the width the width of the post. You have to be inside them. So if you can dart in front of the, the centre half at the last second, you're unsighting the centre half as well. It could come off his shoulder, go into the back of the net. And if you make that run, you're dragging the centre half with it as well, and you're you're making uh, you're making room for your teammates at the back post. So he knows where the goal scoring areas are, and he knows where to be. And he just he gets a good relationship with all these wingers as well. They know when to cross the ball, and 
You know, when I when I when I think of Olivier Giroud, I think of that scorpion kick he scored for Arsenal. He makes that run across the front post, as you're saying, Raf, but the ball is behind him and somehow it ends up in the back of the net. He throws a heel at it and yeah, so he, he he scores spectacular goals, he scores tap ins, he scores scruffy goals, and he can rough up defenders as well. If you he can do a couple of different options. So yeah, look I, he's absolutely excellent. I think he's a great player. And again, it just uh, his mentality as well just astounds me how he keeps going. Yeah, and Ed, just, um, just after the game, Kenny Cunningham and Stephen Kelly were debating the, the issue of Dembele and whether, you know, obviously at the moment France have gone with Griezmann sort of playing that number 10, but he can he can drift around the pitch and then you have Mbappe coming in off the left, Dembele using his pace on the other side. Uh, Kenny thinks the move, the optimal move for France would be to um, have a third midfielder and drop Dembele. Does that look likely to happen, do you think? No, I don't think so. I think I think uh, Deschamps put out his uh, set out stall now, and the, he's 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 sticking to it. I think he's I, I think he's happy enough with the way that, with the way they're going. They look, you know, like 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 Keith said, they're not firing on all cylinders, and they look uh, like like they they have weaknesses in you know in defence and stuff. But no, I think I think Dembele's pace it sort of makes other teams think, doesn't it? It's like Mbappe, you, you know, you really have to you have to set your team out to, to handle that pace. So uh, I would think Deschamps is quite happy, and I, I think to throw another midfielder into the mix there would have to be somebody with a real bit of creativity. But I, I just think the way Griezmann moves about and he has such a free role, like he, another midfielder might just might just get in his way. Yeah, and from the English point of view, then if the if France stick with this four two three one, uh, Keith, how do you how do you expect England to set up? Will it be going straight to the back five? Obviously, Mbappe plays the opposite side of where Harry Maguire tends to be, um, but I would imagine again Kyle Walker is going to be key and probably going to be moving inside. Yeah, I'm not too sure. I'm, I'm looking at it now, and I th- I think Gareth Southgate will go to a back five. I think he might play Trippier as the right wing-back and uh, have Kyle Walker as the right side of centre-half. And he would be told every time that Kylian Mbappe gets the ball, he want, I would get Trippier to go and engage with him, but have Kyle 10 yards behind him and let him know that. Try and take the space away from him effectively, but I would also drop a little bit deeper than, than he would be used to. I would really just try and negate that, that pace of Mbappe and try and you know nullify it as much as possible. But I understand that the more that England drop the more you're going to invite balls into the box and, and Giroud is going to be there, Griezmann will be sniffing about. So there's dangers in everything that England do. So I do think he'll go with a five five at the back, maybe try and double up on, on Mbappe, maybe take turns kicking him. Maybe that, that could be something that they, they could try and do because it seems so, so hard to stop him. You know, he's giving people 10 yards and knocking the ball past him and still, you know, putting the afterburners on. So it'll be a team, a team effort to try and stop him. And look up. What Ed is saying about, about uh, France in the middle, Tuchimani and Rabiot, I think they can be dominated in there. You know, Bellingham, uh, Foden, Kane dropping in there, Henderson, they'll all be thinking, yeah, we can dominate that French midfield. So maybe there could be a, an extra French midfielder thrown in there just to try and... But again, that, that congests the game and that, that will force the game out to the wings, which is where Mbappe is. So whether the English will want that or not, I'm not too sure. Maybe they'll try and, you know, block up the channels and force it through the middle. So there's, look, there's pros and cons, and I, I wouldn't want to be Gareth Southgate this weekend. Anyway, I'll tell you that because whatever he does is going to be wrong. Yeah, certainly. Just can I ask Keith there, just Raph, one, just on that on that sort of scenario. Um, 
let's say England do go back to a, a back a back five almost just to, just to sort of factor the Mbappe uh, put the Mbappe factor there. Who did they lose from from midfield? Like you know, is which way do you see them? What do you see happening there? Like will Henderson and Royce both both still be able to play in that, in that team? Yeah, I I would play the five. Uh, Obviously, Shaw, Stones, Maguire, Walker, Trippier, and I'd have Rice and Henderson in front, and I would tell them not to move, and obviously, always be thinking about Mbappe. When we lose the ball, where's Mbappe? Where's Mbappe? Get really, really heavy on that side. I'd tell Shaw, you're going to have to do well when I'm Dembele. The lesser of two evils is Dembele. Try and do 1v1 on him, double up on Mbappe, congest the middle of the pitch. Don't uh, Henderson and Rice, don't let the ball come into Giroud's feet. Nullify him. And Bellingham, every time we get it, I want you to be the ball carrier. You go and get the ball up to Kane, up to Foden, up to Grealish, up to whoever it is up there. You be the ball carrier and be the link from the back to the front. And look, they might they might soak up pressure. They might go they might go toe to toe with the French. I'm not too sure, but whatever they do, it's going to be really really interesting because I I haven't seen a team or or a defensive display yet where I went that walked brilliant on Mbappe. Let's do that. I, pace is the one thing that you can't defend against. It's really, really difficult. And I think the English will need Mbappe to have a little bit of an off day, which is not beyond the realms of possibility. And if he does, I think France France come down from a world-class team to a very, very good team, which is very, very beatable. So, like I say, I, I think it's an excellent game and I can't call it. I'm hoping the English come out on the right side of it, but who knows? Yeah, we'll see how that, uh, that goes. Obviously, they're into the quarterfinals and going to face each other. Obviously, Argentina too and the Dutch uh, playing each other in the next round. But tomorrow, the last 16 continues. So the three o'clock game on RT2 and the RT player is Japan against Croatia. It's been a good World Cup for the Asian teams, Keith. But um, uh, compared between this one and the seven, ki- seven o'clock kickoff between Brazil and South Korea, I would imagine probably Japan has a greater chance of, uh, you know, pulling off an upset and probably would be viewed as an upset if they beat Croatia than the seven o'clock kickoff. Yeah, look, Japan against Croatia, a bit Brazil against South Korea, you would think if there's going to be an upset there, it'll be the Japanese against the against the Croatians. Brazil, though, again, Raf, you know, if I'd have told you at the start of the tournament, the Saudi Arabians would beat uh, Argentina, you'd have said not a chance, so... It's it's that sort of World Cup that you can't take your eye off of because you do, you'll come back in the door and you'll, read, you'll hear that South Korea beat Brazil 2-1 and you'll have missed out. So it's really, really difficult. I've been really impressed with the Japanese, I have to say. There's some decent, decent players in that team. The the front line, uh, Kubo on the right wing, he's a great ball carrier. The Japanese are probably, I would speak to the English about the French game and say, have, take the template from the Japanese because they sit so, so deep. But when they get a chance to get up the pitch, they do it really, really quickly. And they're prepared to suffer uh, out possession of the ball. They'll run all day. they super, super fit. And that's what you need to do. And I think we're seeing the value, in, especially in this World Cup, of, of a really strong team unit. Teams that will, uh, they're prepared to suffer out possession. They'll do all the nasty stuff, put tackles in. And, and yeah, I, look, Japan... I, I wouldn't write them off. I really wouldn't because, like I say, they just seem to be a great team. You know, but Croatia have this knack of just winning games that, you know, they're not setting the world on fire, but they're just going through, going through and going through. And that Modric is just evergreen. And I, I think I was really telling when you when you listen to what Kevin De Bruyne said about the Belgians maybe being over the hill. And Modric never speaks like that about any of his Croatian counterparts, even though it would be true. And him himself, age and legs, he never seems to worry with that. And, 
it was just two different mentalities that I thought were quite uh, quite interesting. Yeah, and of course the Croatians were runners up last time out in 2018. But um, there was a lot of focus, obviously, when they um, when they drew with Belgium Ed, uh, in regards to Lukaku and the number of missed chances. But what that also tells you is Croatia were sort of on the ropes as well. What have you made of them and their um, you know their their performance in this competition so far? Yeah, Croatia. Croatia or uh, or Japan? Oh, sorry, Croatia. Croatia. I've seen glimpses of uh, I've seen glimpses of their former self. I, I I don't think they're uh, I don't think they're anywhere near as strong as they were four years ago. Um, but Modric is is just so he's still so key to that team, and he is he is. Getting getting on a bit, and whether what they're talking about players like as uh, a love love role Maja, Maja, uh, coming in as being the next uh, Modric, he, he he's not ready to take over the, the mantle yet. And even the coach said so today. He said that we actually need Luca for the next few years. He's not going anywhere just yet, which sort of shows that the, the strength and depth isn't there, and the next generation isn't stepping up to the to the same levels as as we've seen over the last uh, ten years. Um, and on that note, I think that's why Japan have a, a really good chance. I think, as as Keith alluded to there, Japan are the worst team on, in terms of keeping possession of the, of all of all sixteen teams who've qualified. So um, it's going to be a very interesting game. But Japan themselves think that they're the strongest Japanese team that they've had, um, and they're very very confident in terms of uh, progressing. And I, I, I actually can, I'm actually leaning towards Japan to win that one. Yeah, they're trying to get to the quarterfinals for the very first time in their history. They've been in the last 16 quite uh, quite a lot. Now they would be trying to emulate what South Korea did uh, at the you know in the 2002 World Cup when South Korea got all the way to the um, semi-finals, albeit a couple of uh, handy refereeing decisions in some of those games from memory. But um, this uh, their match against Brazil, seven o'clock RT two RT player Keith. Uh, that appears to be a very tall order. I mean, they've done very well to get out of a group. Um, at the, at the expense of Uruguay, but Brazil, obviously with Neymar back in the team, are going to be far too strong for them, one would imagine. Yeah, you would think so, Raph, uh, on paper, but you know, there's so much pressure heat on this Brazilian team, as there is with the Argentinians as well, and the, the same we said about the English, to be fair. There's so much pressure that, you know, it could tell at any time, it could just become too much, and you know, the longer that game stays, stays nil all with the South Koreans, the more they'll grow into it. And they have that man, Son, who he seems to be a real talisman. But South Korea are, are a lot more than just a one-man team. They, they've got some real talent in there. And a real good team unit that, like I say, they will suffer in possession. They won't mind Brazil having the ball. They'll be prepared to play with set pieces and, and get up the pitch that way. So, look, it would be one I'd be really, really interested to watch. I'd expect Brazil to win it, but I don't think it'd be easy. I really don't think there's any games left. And you know, even England are beating Senegal three 0 now, but that wasn't an easy game for a long, long time. That was in the balance. I feel this game will be the same. And for for as good as Brazil, Brazil are. I've been impressed with Anthony playing for Brazil. Richarlison is obviously amazing when he plays for Brazil. But if if Neymar's off it, which I've seen at PSG a few times, he can be off. It. And if he's off it. I think Brazil come down a, a level for as good as they are with the amount of attacking players have, the amount of attacking talent they have. Yeah, I think he's still such a big, big part of what the Brazilians do. And we seen uh, we seen the other day when they were beating the last group game that they weren't completely on it. So 
yeah, the Brazilians are beatable, but there's so much firepower in there, it's hard to look past them. Yeah, and what, like, you know, up front, they have so many options to pick from. Obviously, they've lost Gabriel Jesus now to, to a knee injury, so he's not going to be involved. But if you were to look at the three or four up front uh, in terms of whatever combination, usually Lucas Paqueta is going to be one of them, uh, just as a more sort of, more of a natural attacking midfielder. But would you be would you be introducing Vinicius or... Um, does can him can he and Neymar and Richarlison and possibly uh, um, whoever is going to be playing on the right wing, which isn't necessarily going to be Anthony, um, it'll probably be Rafinha. Uh, what's like what's the most impressive you've seen in terms of the balance of players that they've chosen? Well, like I said, I, I've been I've been really I was really impressed with Anthony. Some of his uh, some of his skill in one v one situations have been really really good. I, I think he switches off defensively an awful lot to try and trust him in these big games. So. I, I'm not sure Anthony will get the nod. Richarlison, Neymar, I, probably, I think we'd say that they're search to go in. Me being an Arsenal fan, I'd love to see Martinelli. I think he, he warrants it any season. I think he, he's playing excellent for Arsenal. So I'd love to see Martinelli get a shot on the left, Neymar on the right, and uh, Richarlison through the middle. Paquette probably just behind them. So look, it's, it's fairly similar to the English with the amount of attack and talent they have that some of them are a toss of a coin. There's some of them that are nailed in. Richarlison's form for, for Brazil means he'll be in there. Neymar will be in there. The rest of them are, are really a toss of a coin, but it's more about the attitude of the team and rather than the individuals. And it, if they all turn up hungry with a desire to work hard and show how good they can be, Brazil will be very, very hard to stop. But if people start sulking and thinking, oh, he should be in, that should be in, it can get all a little bit sticky. So, yeah, look... Amazing, amazing talent the Brazilians have. It, it really is. Like I said, there's so much talent up there. It's just a toss of a coin and who you play. For me, I'd love to see Martinelli get a couple of minutes and see how he fares. Obviously, you know, being a, being in the Premier League, I've seen an awful lot of him. So I'd like to see him come into the World Cup and, and start the game for Brazil. Yeah, and Ed, like we've mentioned, uh, the veteran in regards to Modric, obviously... We haven't really talked about Thiago Silva much in this uh, in this World Cup podcast, but he's as evergreen as ever. Well, listen, the reason this Brazil team are looking so are looking so good uh, is because of the, they're built on a very strong uh, foundation. When you look at the, the goalkeeping unit, they've got two of the best goalkeepers in the world, and the defensive unit so far in the World Cup has looked really, really good. Um, especially in the middle and, that, and of course that's down to Thiago Silva who just reads the game so well and is such a is such a positive influence in that team and the players in front of him just can probably relax a bit more knowing that you know they've got they've got a, a, a player like him uh, commanding the team behind them yeah, and the whistle is just going to be blowing there in a second between England and Senegal. It looks like it's going to be a 3-0 victory, Keith. Um, before we say a final word on England, uh, first, what, what have you made of Senegal's campaign as a whole? They weren't that impressive in their group, but uh, the fact they did get to the last 16 without Sadio Mane probably is would be viewed as an achievement. Yeah, I, I, I think so. I think, you know, it, it's probably, it's all really relative to the, to the African champions, but... Yeah, look, coming up against England so early on in the knockout stages, it was always going to be a tall order for them. But I don't think they've done themselves... I, th I think they've done well here today. A 3-0 probably flatters England, I'll be honest. You know, it's, it wasn't that. Senegal would have, would have, would have looked to get on this the score sheet pick, but made a great save. And if Senegal had to took the lead in the game, you're really over to England there and thinking, you know, what sort of reaction are you going to have? 
as it was, they didn't score the goal and, and England had just gone up from strength to strength. So I think they've done well. It's a step forward for them. And look, they'll, they'll be coming on strong in the in the next World Cup as well. But yeah, I think they've done proud because England are really, really world heavyweights in fairness to them. So yeah, no disgrace at all in Senegal. A, a decent showing from them. Yeah, it's finished now, 3-0. And uh, just a final word on England. If you were going to rate their performance out of 10, where would it where would it sit, given the opposition? Uh, I'd put it in around the 7. There's a lot of room for improvement. And it just Jordan Henderson's come up on my screen now. And, you know, to so many people are texting me, saying, how is Jordan Henderson playing in that midfield with, with the likes of Mason Mount and people like that being left on the bench? It's his walk rate. It's the way he speaks to people. He doesn't get flustered with situations like this. He played Champions League finals. He knows what he's doing in these big, big games. And with the goal, he can he come up in as well. It was a lovely finish. So although he has all the steely determination that you need, he's a voice you need in there. He has that little bit of quality as well that you need at the top level, which is which is just what you... He's exactly what... He's a captain that's not a captain. And that's what you need out there, problem solver. So Jordan Henderson was excellent. But look, I, I'd probably put it out of 7 out of 10, room for improvement. But... I wouldn't have been too much more impressed with the French today either against the Polish. I'd give them a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I'd give, I'd give Mbappe a 10 out of 10, but the French were a 7 out of 10. <laughs> and Ed, before we go, I suppose uh, just on the theme of Jordan Henderson, how important he is, a lot of it is going to be off the pitch, of course, as well. I think there was a story one of their England teammates was telling them about uh, uh, the fact that uh, Jude Bellingham revealed. Now, you have to remember Jude Bellingham is only a teenager, a 19-year-old, but he was saying that, uh, or he told Henderson and a couple of people that are around there that uh, his mother still makes his bed and Henderson went straight through him after hearing that story. So, um, you know, there's someone stepping the standards there yeah I think I think uh, I think the manager takes a lot of credit for that I think he encourages that sort of um, player um, involvement and, and the players to sort of self-govern themselves and almost you know it's why someone like Henderson is so important to that team they're a very together squad aren't they and they're a very likeable squad the English uh, the English squad Um you know, Declan Rice, Jack Grealish, we, we all have scenarios here, but in general, they all come, the, the whole squad comes across a very together unit, and uh, I think that's that's one of the reasons why they're doing so well, because there's nobody being allowed to sort of step above them all, and there's no there's no superstars there, and they're lucky that people, I suppose, like Harry Kane, uh, who you know might be conceived the more superstar side of the squad isn't that type of isn't that type of player. So you know I, I think the whole squad ethic is working well there, and I think I think it's 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 playing a big part to the reason that they're doing well. Yeah, and uh, very different from the cliques that were there uh, during the uh, the so-called fabled golden generation, uh, which didn't exactly win gold um, at all. But anyway, that is uh, it for uh, today. Obviously, we know now we know. Oh, the quarter, half of the quarterfinal lineup: the Dutch against Argentina, and now England against France. So that's going to be uh, two exciting games. And then, as uh, as we've discussed tomorrow, Japan against Croatia at three o'clock, and Brazil against South Korea, and both on RT two. The RT player Keith Tracy, thanks a mil for taking the time, and Ed Leahy. Um, I'll chat to you out on the main floor very shortly. Cheers, folks. Nice to meet you. Cheers, Raf. Good luck. See you later. Yeah.